Hi, this is a quick heads up that this podcast will contain a variety of spoilers for a variety of seasons of Survivor. This episode in particular contains a deep dive into Survivor's first season, Borneo, and if you haven't seen that, then what are you even doing here? It also contains endgame and winner spoilers for the Australian Outback, Africa, Marquesas, Thailand, Heroes vs. Villains, and One World. I don't think anybody's out here to make friends. I'm not out here to make friends. The people that you're forming alliances with now and the people that you're getting along with now are the people that are gonna have to turn around and vote you. But somebody's gotta go, so it's just the way it goes. Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. And I'm Evan Ross Katz. Evan, today I want to take it all the way back to the very beginning and talk about Survivor's very first runner-up, Kelly Wigglesworth. Kelly isn't typically the first thing that springs into mind, I think, when we think about Survivor Borneo. I think there's a lot more Um, iconic things that pop into our mind, like Richard Hatch being our first winner, uh, the first alliance, the first pagonging, Sue Hawk and her infamous rats and snakes speech, of course, America's sweetheart, Colleen Haskell, Rudy, you know, the, the man, the legend, uh, you know, there's uh, the one of the things that I always the think homophobe. about is <laughs> the <Sorry. homophobe>. uh, <laughs> one of the things that I always think about is Jenna not getting her video at that reward challenge. Uh, that's sort of a defining moment of season one for me. But even though a lot of these aspects of season one may have overshadowed Kelly Wigglesworth in our sort of pop cultural memory. I think Kelly's story on season one was as integral to Survivor's success as Richard Hatch's was. What do you think about that? I totally agree. I'm really glad that we're zeroing in on her. And I have to say, for people that haven't watched Borneo recently, which is probably the majority of people, it's interesting to go back and rewatch it with like the Kelly lens on. um, Because I know for me, I started to pick up on a lot more aspects of the game and like the ways in which I thought Kelly, my perception when we like decided to do this was that Kelly was very much the backseat driver within her, excuse me, no, sorry, that Kelly played a backseat role, not backseat driver. My perception was that Kelly sort of was in the backseat throughout the season and I came to find that she was really more of a backseat driver. So she was the very thing Mm. that I said that she wasn't. She was the backseat driver in a lot of ways and I think that I had this perception too that Kelly wanted everyone to like her, which is true. She did have that. But I think Kelly was way more cunning than I remembered. I always Mm -hmm. thought that Sue's speech came out of nowhere and was like not... And Sue was crazy for going that hard against Kelly, which I stand by to an extent. But... In rewatching, I see all of the the things that led Sue to have the realization that she came to with her iconic final tribal council speech. Um, 
And one other thing that sort of occurred to me about Kelly is there's just a frankness in her gameplay that you don't see in a lot of players, male or female, old or young, in any of the later seasons, which is that she makes, you know, big game moves, but we're so accustomed to seeing someone make the big game move and then hop into the confessional uh, and be like, I just made this move and here's why I made it and here's mm-hmm. my thought process for how this is going to change the game. Three votes down the line, blah, blah, blah. And because there were limited talking heads in Borneo and just limited storytelling in general, you see Kelly make big moves, but that aren't necessarily narratively explained as such. And so to your point about sort of like Kelly being one of the more forgotten players in the game, I think that she really... Um, the season coming in so early and Survivor the series not really knowing about how it wanted to structure itself at the time really worked against Kelly as far as her her place within the legacy. Um, but what about you? Yeah, well, what's so interesting about what you're saying to me is that Kelly did come into this wanting to play the game. And I mean, Kelly's biggest contribution to pop culture is the introduction of the phrase, I'm not here to make friends to reality television. And we see that from actually episode one of Borneo when Kelly is actually involved in the first ever Survivor Alliance, which does not include Richard Hatch. It includes Stacey Stillman and the women of Toggy who are wanting, I think, to vote at Rudy, if memory serves correctly. And so Kelly came in playing the game hard. I don't, it's not that I'm saying that Richard wasn't playing the game hard from episode one, but Kelly is integral to the introduction of the Alliance in Survivor. And we see her play this game in which she's separating game from friendships uh, in a way that I think is is very much forgotten because I think people think about Richard Hatch as the cunning and ruthless game player of Survivor season one. But the interesting thing about Kelly is that she has this story that progresses throughout the entire season about her struggle with playing this kind of a game. And I think you can debate whether or not that's a legitimate struggle that she's actually feeling, but she is in fact verbalizing the ethical way that you approach the game or is there an ethical way you approach the game? What is the morality of playing Survivor and what is the morality of alliances? Which is very much, if you haven't watched season one in a very long time, that is the story of season one. It's, should you have an alliance? Is that a fair way to get to the end or is that cheating? Right. And I think think, Kelly's journey is very much struggling with that. And I think one of the important things to note in that is that not only was this the first season of Survivor, it was the first season of reality competition in the U.S., I mean, I think, is there is there anything that, I know there's reality television that predates Survivor, but is there anything in the U.S. that predates in terms of reality competition that you know of? I know I didn't. Not that I know of. Doesn't yeah, mean I, it doesn't exist, but right. if it did exist, certainly not to the scale of Survivor. Right. So I think that there are a lot of things at play in knowing that, that play into sort of like Kelly's strategy or lack of strategy, whatever you kind of, whatever, however you see it, in the sense that, Not only had there never been a Survivor Alliance before, but there was no way of knowing whether or not alliances were successful, like were a successful way to maneuver this game. And the other thing I think is really important to remember is this is, you know, 11 seasons before, or 10 seasons before the idol was introduced. Is it 
he was introduced in season eleven. In so this is Guatemala, season. yeah. Yeah. So okay. So we're we're many many seasons until the idol is introduced. So basically, if you think about that element of the game, the, the pureness of the game in those seasons, once you kind of lock in with an alliance, you don't have to worry about. Unless the alliance turns on you, you're pretty much set. It's the whole yeah. reason they introduced the idol was because it became really easy to formulate an alliance and and ha- and as long as you guys all stick together, power through to the end. So in Kelly's case, I think about around the back half of the game, she was trying starting to realize, okay, this alliance of four will get to the end. It will work. And how do I then assert myself to be the winner? And and as we see, she tries to get in with some people on the jury early on, which you could argue is like extremely smart gameplay, especially when moves that she was making all throughout the game were unprecedented. Any move anyone was making was unprecedented. So she really was a strategizer in ways that, you know, she's kind of seen as a competition beast, one of the OG competition beasts, mm-hmm. but I think her her gameplay overall is pretty underrated in this well, season. And and that's the thing. I mean, the reason that she had to be a competition beast and she had to be a competition beast was right. because her alliance wanted to turn on her uh, right. at the point that they realized she was doing this, playing the jury for votes. And I don't know that we know, I don't know that we can know what Kelly's intention was in sort of sidling up to the Pagongs um, post-merge because we see her pitching it as like, oh, I actually have more fun with them and I don't know about the morality of playing in an alliance. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And we see her waver on the alliance, though rarely to never in the vote. Right, she continues to vote with the alliance, or in a way that allows the alliance to continue without having, you know, actually making an impact against it. Um, and so, in that way, it comes off to me as this very savvy move to buy jury votes by right. becoming friendly with these people and um, giving in to their desires that or their hopes that maybe a toggy will flip, but. Given that she never does, I think we can only read that as as campaigning for jury votes. And if so, that's really smart. And Richard and Susan and Rudy obviously saw that as well and wanted to take her out before certain Pagong members. They wanted her to go out instead of Colleen as the last Pagong. Um, but that necessitated Kelly to become this challenge beast and go on this immunity run, which is the only reason that she made it to the final four, final three, fi- final two. Yeah. Now, first of all, I love that you said Susan instead of Sue, because uh, <laughs> that's correct. Her name is Susan. Um, but also, I think it's worth noting, it was much easier to be a competition beast in season one of Survivor than it is in later seasons. The competitions were not only easier, they were just simpler. I mean, like mm-hmm. the one uh, when it comes down to her and Colleen is like, who can stay on this beam and it's yeah. not a thin beam it's like a you know they're balancing but it's the kind of beam that if you really want it you could stay up there um but I, what i was going to say before that was there's something about that i don't think it's explained narratively that goes along with what you were saying which is that idea of like she's kind of cozying up with the other people on the other side of the alliance however there's a fight that happens between her and sue towards the end of the season mm-hmm. And in that fight, Kelly says something that I tend to believe her on this. And so what Kelly is explaining was 
hey, we had a plan, and the plan was that we, the Alliance, were going to split up once the merge happened so that we could get intel from the other tribe about what they were thinking and then come together and share it with one another for the benefit of our Alliance. And being that, as you pointed out, Kelly votes with her alliance on every single vote, there's reason to believe that even if she was thinking about jury votes, like consciously or subconsciously, whatever, that she could be doing both, right? She could be loyal to her alliance while also thinking about her own long game. And so what's weird about Sue's eruption towards her is that Sue kind of conveys it in a way that's like, why were you buddying up with the other team? And the way Kelly explains it, and again, we'll never know because we never really see this comp- this yeah. conversation play out. But the way that Sue perce- or the way that Sue explains it is, it's like you were being disloyal to us when Kelly's like, I'm just doing the thing that we were all like in agreement on doing, and my track record proves my loyalty. Yeah, that's the part that's like, I mean, this season's confusing because we don't see that conversation play out. But also just because Kelly's explanation of what she was doing makes a lot of sense. And again, it's like, as I just explained, like, it can be both. But to play devil's advocate here, we also do get a decent amount of Kelly confessionals, which we should be able to take at face value, in which she questions whether or not she is in the alliance. And I think there's even a confessional where she says, I am not in the alliance anymore. And yet she continues to vote with them. I think there might be a vote where she doesn't vote with them, but it's like an, an, an inconsequential vote she casts. It's not like she's, I don't think she's casting a vote against, uh, you know, a, an actual threat in her alliance. So I don't know. Like, she's an enigma for this reason. I feel like it partially comes down to the production of season one and not having enough cameras or mics on the ground to actually capture everything. There is also, like, anecdotal evidence from season one that the contestants were lying to the production about their strategy um, just to like fuck with them I think I think they were doing a lot of things to sort of rebel against the production of the show Um, and Survivor and CBS didn't have the iron fist that they could lay down on future seasons uh, for that kind of behavior but they actually did uh, manage to catch the alliance themselves in lies about their strategy and so with that in mind, maybe we can't trust what we're seeing in confessionals um, because that is like a known fact. That's in Mark Burnett's book about season one. Which is so funny because it's like none of those people outside of Richard seem smart enough to <laughs> have even like the thought, let alone the execution to like to like throw off production on the scent of their strategy. I mean, like the fact that they even had a strategy. Yeah, exactly. And I'm talking specifically about Rudy and and Susan here. I'm gonna call her Susan from now on. Um, <laughs> Rudy and Susan, like that's just so funny to me that like they yeah. would be these like master like manipulators. Well, so apparently the way that they caught them was that they caught Sean. So they they started to like catch on that not all the stories were matching up so they started planting microphones hidden microphones around camp and they caught sean saying something to richard about oh yeah they totally bought it when i was telling them about the strategy of voting off colleen or something like that but it's like sean first of all you don't even have a strategy you're just voting alphabetically (laughs) and the fact that you're coming up with an alternative strategy is like Maybe you should actually apply that in the game because your strategy that you're using right now sucks. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely very confusing thinking about this season holistically because there's what we were shown, obviously. There's what we know we didn't see because it wasn't captured on camera. There's what we know we didn't see because it didn't make the edit. And then on top of that, there's Mark Burnett's book. And then on top of all of that, there's just the fact that because this was the first season of what went on to become a phenomenon, this season, along with Australia, I think it's fair to say are like the most documented seasons Mm -hmm. and the most spoken about seasons and also because seasons like I think one through four were like this juggernaut in the ratings, there were a lot more people that, you know, you mentioned Survivor people, the first thing I always hear is, oh my God, I can't believe that show's still on. And then you get the, oh my God, there's been 40 seasons. And then you get the Sue's Snake Rat speech, you know? Those are like the the things. Maybe you get, uh, uh, what's his name in the fire? Um, That might be like the next reference, you know? But again, it's like, no one's really thinking about Kelly here. And I think Kelly, contributed a lot to the game. The other thing I wanted to point out, because you're watching Samoa right now, and I was thinking about that final four in Samoa and how, you know, they just power through to the end. This final four in Borneo, it's like outside of, so Sue was definitely loyal to Richard. That Mm -hmm. seemed very clear. Susan, Susan was, 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 was in it with Richard. Richard and Rudy, I feel, were in alignment with one another. Yeah. I think Richard was willing to turn on on Susan or Kelly, I think. I'm not quite sure about when it comes to Richard and Susan, that his his side of things. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. But all this to say it's like Kelly didn't really have anyone within that four cuz we never really see Kelly and Rudy strategizing. And it no. just doesn't really seem like Kelly had a solid in with the group. Like if I were Kelly, it would be very clear to me that I was on the bottom within the four. Whereas with Samoa, until the end, it seemed like it was Russell at the top, obviously, but the other three kind of felt there was a, a, an equilibrium amongst that four. So yeah. Kelly, to your point about having to be a challenge beast and successfully doing that, um, I don't necessarily, it's like, you can't set out to win challenges and then just do it. Like there's an yeah. element of, you know, like, are you able to and is luck Skill and luck, yeah. Yeah, but... What's really fascinating is just wondering about, and you know, we think about this all the time with so many moves in this game, if, if so-and-so would have happened, but had Richard not won that immunity, I think it was like, it's a few episodes past the merge, and Kelly and Susan were successfully able to vote out, to align together and vote out Richard, I mean, the entire trajectory of the series changes, um, because it's like, I think one thing I forgot was that the reason Susan makes that speech at the end is actually out of love for Kelly. She's she's not mad, she's hurt. And so all of the yeah. anger that she's feeling is just manifestations of the hurt she feels because, you know, she mentions this several times that she's the only other girl there um, after um, Colleen. Yes, a- Colleen. After Colleen leaves, Susan mentions that it's like, that it's like her and Kelly there. And so I think she feels... A, a bond as women. I think she also mm-hmm. might feel a maternalness because there's, I think, there's quite a few years between the two of them. But it's, I guess, one thing I was struck by in my rewatch today was just like I didn't realize how much Kelly, or excuse me, how much Susan genuinely seemed to like Kelly. Yeah. Well, this whole thing, and again, this comes back to things that happen off camera, either because they weren't edited into the show or because they didn't capture them on the island. But I think the Susan and Kelly relationship was not fully captured in season one. And the reason I say that is because um, having 
sort of reread passages of Mark Burnett's book about Survivor season one in which he chronicles every single day and what happened out there, uh, both on screen and off screen. He actually talks about the relationship between Sue and Kelly, and he talks about this uh, confessional that Sue gives, which I don't recall being in the show. Uh, I could be wrong, but she talks about having this friend that she that had died, that she lost like many years before, like 10 years before or something like that. And that Kelly is the first girl that she has connected with uh, in that way since then. And she actually contemplates aloud that going to the end with Kelly instead of going to the end with Richard, which are kind of Sue's two options, could cost Sue $900,000. And she says that maybe that's a sacrifice she's willing to make for a friend. And that to me speaks volumes because I never really got the sense watching the show and certainly not after the show that Sue was really desperate to win. Not that she was also desperate to make friends or something like that, but it just seemed like she was kind of there for the experience. And if she won, great, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't really scrambling to win that show. Well, can I add something to that? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, to your point about that, I think that, you know, I, I tend to, and I think a lot of people tend to forget about the, the sliding prize money that happens. Yeah. And I think being that this was the first, first of all, it goes without saying, but should be mentioned, a million dollars in the year 2000, I mean, a million dollars in 2021 is still a lot of money, but a million dollars in the year 2000, especially it didn't exist besides the lottery. That was the only way you could win that sum of money. There were, you know, we're so used to like prize money. Who wants money. to be a millionaire? Exactly. Out, but, oh, yeah. it was? Yeah. At the beginning? Only by a few months. Oh, yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so this, but it was rather unprecedented in nature, but also to go on this show, even if you came in 16th place, you were not only getting the adventure of a lifetime, but you were making probably the biggest single check you might ever make in your life, especially given that, it at most was 30 or 39 days of work. But so I agree with you that I don't think Sue was really thinking about the finish line, but I also think it's worth noting that like anyone that was participating in this was going to do well for themselves, even if they came in last place, especially given that it was, you know, where what the dollar was in 2000, but also even today, it's just 39 days away from your job and making, I don't do we even know what 16th place gets? I mean, I'm sure it's different. Yeah, now. I think it's like, I th- I think when Sonia was voted out, I think it was something like 2,500 or 3,000. Okay, great. So it's and like, then you get and then you get 10,000 for appearing at the reunion. Work. Um. So this just to say that I think that there are contestants like Susan who uh, aren't necessarily thinking about the end game, but are gonna do fine for themselves, especially once they get past the merge and know that they're yeah. onto the jury or whatever. So anyway, sorry. Totally, totally. And so so the point was that. Susan, I think, had these two options. She could go to the end with Richard or she could go to the end with Kelly. And by all accounts, Susan actually didn't really like Richard that much and formed this relationship with Kelly that I think surprised even Susan. And I think in part of trying to cement that relationship a little more, feel out her options, she pitched this idea to Kelly about taking Rich out of the game. And Kelly... Kelly played into it, but instead of sort of like following through with that, she went back to Rich with that information. Of course, this is not 
in the the show. It's right. in Mark Burnett's book, and I think in sort of subsequent interviews with cast members. Um, but that's what causes the falling out between Sue and Kelly. But do you feel that had Richard, because this is it's a fire making challenge? I remember it's the one that Richard he makes the fire and he's like really really happy. Do you think had he lost that? That even even though Kelly went to him and told him this is the plan, do you think Kelly ultimately would have voted? Do you think her and Sue would have voted and taken Richard out had he not gotten the immunity? So hard to say. I kind of feel like so they would have. So hard to say. It's possible. Because at that point, if you're Kelly, it's like, sure, you've blown up Richard. Like, you've gone to Richard and kind of fractured your alliance with, uh, with Susan. But at the end of the day, it's the vote that matters. And it's like, if you vote him out, you've yeah. proven your loyalty to Susan. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that also would help curry favor with the jury. Right. I also... Because nobody on the jury liked Richard. Right. And to that, I think what's really interesting is it's like, we think about players like Russell today, right? Who are like playing this really strategic game and we, the audience, are watching being like, there's no way you're ever going to win. I think it really uh, is most crystallized in Heroes versus Villains. Um, just watching Russell's gameplay and just watching him. I know that one scene when mm-hmm. he like implodes on, on Rupert and it's just like, he's being cruel in a not, like outside of the game. He's just being an yeah, asshole. Yeah. I mean, he is an asshole, but he's being extra asshole-ish. Um, but at this time, it was not really known whether or not the Richard style of play was the good or bad way. And what's funny is it would take us quite a few seasons, you know, just looking at like Tina and and uh, uh, Ethan and Vesepia and the players that came immediately following Richard, they didn't follow in like the Richard sort of like braggadocious, bombastic, uh, the manner in which Richard played. There was no way of knowing. You watch that season and think, oh my God, there's no way this guy's going to win. He just, mm-hmm. he's so pompous and arrogant. And yet it's like that completely, I wouldn't say it won people over. I think he won more by default, um, but it definitely did not injure his game in a way that I feel like a modern, if, if a Richard archetype were to exist on Modern Survivor, mind you, listener, I'm only through season 34. I'm currently on season thought season 35 so watch as like all the next winners are all richard types but (laughs) from the survivor that i've seen the seven eighths of it that i have seen um i think the richard types do not advance in the way because of modern gameplay uh but also because i just think richard being the first there was less scrutiny around the gameplay okay so you're getting to an interesting point and maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit maybe not but let's talk about kelly's loss because I think much has been said about Richard's win, but why did Kelly lose? Because I remember sitting there watching it live. I remember vividly uh, that my, myself, everybody I knew, was rooting for Kelly in that moment because we as the audience decided we didn't like Richard because he was arrogant and he was the leader of this alliance. We sort of like sympathized with Kelly because we watched her struggle with the idea of the alliance, but you know, it was what it was. And here we had two people at the end and it felt sort of like we wanted to crown the lesser of two evils. Um, See, but it's funny you say that because it's like, when you say the lesser of two evils, it's like, I guess I'm remembering, because I watched this live at the time as well. And I don't remember, I remember seeing Kelly, I remember seeing it more as good versus evil than the lesser of two evils. Yeah, well, I think when you're at the final two, it's good. It becomes good versus evil. Mm-hmm. But nobody 
three weeks prior would have wanted to see Kelly or Richard in the finale. I see. They would have wanted anybody from Pagong sitting there. Even, even I think to a certain extent, Sean sitting there because at least, and this is in the context of 2000 Survivor season one, at least Sean's game wasn't as quote-unquote ruthless even though by today's standards nothing about season one was ruthless right uh, except for sue's jury speech but it it really was this like pervasive idea about uh the way that survivor was being played for the first time ever and this idea that the alliance was a bad thing right and so when we had two people from the alliance and we were looking back at their stories, at least Kelly struggled with being in the alliance. And I think that's where I was coming from. And also I was coming from the fact that Kelly was a young woman. So of course I was going to identify more with her uh, than I would with Richard. So all of that to say, Kelly loses. We all understand quite quickly, I think, the culture shifts about why Richard won and that and and the narrative shifts into Richard be, being a deserving winner. Um, and then, of course, immediately in season two, we see that alliances are the only way that you can play the game. But at the time, Kelly's loss very quickly takes a back seat to the narrative of Richard's win. Right. I don't really get it. I, well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like if this season, same cast, same thing, same everything, but instead of being the year 2000, let's say it's 2015, do you think it would have played out the same way? No way. No way. I don't know how it plays out, but it certainly does not play out this way. This is such a conundrum like to think about because the only way that Survivor became the way that it was in 2015 was because, I think, or in large part due to Richard Hatch and that style of gameplay. So, but let's say everything else has played out. So we see this group of people play in 2015. Um, certainly the Pagongs are making an alliance. There are alliances and sub-alliances within Toggy. It becomes much more of a numbers game at the merge. You don't see, I don't think you see Gretchen going home so early. I don't think you see Greg going home so early. Uh, you, I think you see flipping. So all of that to say, I think to your point, a Richard Hatch can't win in 2015. Right. I don't think it's possible. The other thing that I find confusing is I went back and I think it's like, it's two episodes before the finale, I think it is. And Sue and Kelly make up. There's like a reward challenge in which they're Mm -hmm. all in the mud and everything. And they come back and they're in the water together. And literally Sue and, and Kelly are washing the mud out of each other's hair. And then they come back onto land and they're popping each other's zits. And then they have this little talk uh, by the water in which uh, Sue is open about the fact that she wants her, Susan, is open about the fact that she wants her, Richard and Rudy as the final three, that she wants to take Kelly out, but they sort of make peace with the fact that like, Kelly even says in a confessional, we have a couple days left here. Um, It seems like as human beings, they kind of reach like a, not an impasse, but sort of reach a, this is just how it's going to be. So Mm -hmm. it's weird about, I don't know if something else happened off screen or whatnot, but again, the level at which Susan comes into that finale 
seems it's almost as though the finale happens right after she found out about the betrayal. What's weird about the order of events is like they seem to have like acknowledged that this is a game and it is what it is and and they've laid and at least in the case of Susan, she's laid out her cards on the table. I'm not playing this game with you anymore. But we're popping each other's zits. Like we're yeah. clearly cool. And so one thing that I'm curious about with regards to Susan's speech, one, how much her speech impacted the other jurors, but two, did the other people that were there also feel, and perhaps we'll have someone on from season one to discuss this at some point, but it's like, did other people also feel like the, not only, I mean, obviously it's a very intense speech for a lot of reasons, but but like whether or not it was an earned speech is more what I'm getting at, which is like, it just feels, it, it doesn't really make sense with the narrative progression as we had seen it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I do think that it's an example of sort of like the pressure cooker environment that they're in. I don't believe that it's an earned speech. It's certainly not an earned speech in Modern Survivor. Um, you know, somebody just went and, and told somebody that you were thinking of getting them voted out. Like that is standard gameplay, right? But having never seen this show before and having never played it or experienced this, I think that in Susan's mind, she became genuine friends with Kelly and that Kelly truly betrayed her. And then I think by necessity, you have to move on from that because you are living and sleeping together every single day um, in harsh conditions. And so I think by necessity, you get over that. Then Susan gets voted out and then she's left to sort of like stew on this for a few days, right? And I think it's during that time in which she doesn't really have a means of getting out the anger that she's like now just processing besides writing it down and delivering it at Final Tribal. So I think it's just like, it's just one of these situations that you see so often on reality TV where something small is blown totally out of proportion. And, you know, with like a matter of hours or days outside of the game, you would look back and probably feel embarrassed about it. Yeah, but I guess what I'm wondering too is it's like just breaking down what she was trying to say, right? That's like Richard's a snake and Kelly's a rat. It's like, I don't think Richard's a snake and I don't think Kelly's a rat. Like I, the way, I guess it's like the way she was trying to portray it is like that they are two sides of the coin because Richard makes all of these, you know, um, you know, these moves behind the scenes, but but kind of like fesses up to it. Whereas Kelly's kind of like doing all of this stuff and, and doesn't admit it. And it's like, no, you and Kelly had that talk by the beach in which you guys like, where you you hash things out. It's like this this portrayal of Kelly as being sort of like under the radar in her game moves. It's like the whole reason why Susan was mad at her was because Susan observed that Kelly was trying to make nice with this other alliance. Whereas you would think it would be that like, Kelly told her one thing, but then Susan caught wind from somebody else that there was like a lie, but that's not what happened. It's like, what's odd about this season, it's like everything was out in the open. And and yet Susan, like her mentality is as though she came to this competition, found a best friend who she had a final two with from the outset. And the day before she got knocked out at final three, she got information from the third being like, hey, during day one of the game, 
Kelly made a deal to sabotage your entire gameplay. Like, that's the energy with which Susan is operating. Yeah. And the and the gag is, the gag is that if we were rewind the tape and look at episode one, the person who flips on an alliance in episode one is Susan. Hello. Because Kelly, Stacy, and the girls make an alliance to vote out the men. Right. And we have that famous line from Susan where she says, the girls think I'm voting with them, but I'm not. The chicks think I'm voting for one person and I'm not. And that's that's the original Survivor betrayal. And I also think this is really worth, to bring up one of your legends, Helen's speech in the season five finale is worth contrasting here because Helen's anger, which I think is like one-tenth of what Susan is bringing here, but hers is justifiable anger in that it's like she actually was betrayed. So the energy she is bringing into the, uh, to the finale when she's talking to Brian is like, I thought you were with me and you weren't. Whereas what's weird about Susan's speech is she and Kelly had agreed they were not together. So again, it's like one of those yeah. weird things where it's like, Sue, you were the one that terminated your final four with Kelly, told her to her face, Kelly accepted that that was the case, and as a result, in her mind, was like, okay, well then I gotta keep winning these immunity challenges, which she did. It's odd to me that Susan, especially being that she seems to really like her as a person, couldn't look past that at all for the vote. There's a world in which you would think someone like Susan being the sort of like strong-minded human that she is would vote for Kelly. Would that that's the odd thing I find yeah. about this vote. And also yeah. again and and this is throughout the season and this is the funny thing about this is why this alliance is so weird. Susan and Rudy don't like Richard. Like it's funny yeah. they are so with him. Like they are so unquestioningly with him and Rudy openly admits I think it's one of the final tribal councils he says I'm not going to speak to you after this game which lol they end up like becoming lifelong friends like birds of a feather right um but it's just kind of funny because it's like at, at, at one of the core things we see in a lot of modern survivor when it comes to alliances sometimes we have two different walks of life deciding to like team up together but for the most part we get people that are aligned both in their gameplay, but also as human beings. Like most of the mm -hmm. time, the person that you're gonna final two with, the reason you're doing it is because you have a, a bond, right? You, you share something. What's so odd is it's like, Rudy and, Rich and Richard, not only do they have nothing in common, that's one thing, but Rudy is very open about the fact that he doesn't like him to his face. Susan Confessionals is constantly talking about how annoying Richard is. It's just such an odd, final four and it, it's totally. seldom that we get four players that are so unlikable and then the funny thing is like adding you know going back a few votes then you have sean who's i wouldn't say sean's unlikable i would say he's just anonymous like by survivor he's a standards yeah yeah and so really it's like colleen leaving at the final six really is you know, as the viewer, you're you know you're always watching like who who is my protagonist, right? And it's like Colleen really was for many people who we who we were rooting for. You want her in that finale so bad. You lose her at the final six, and you're kind of like, okay, well, which of these five am I going to end up with? And for me, I don't know if everyone felt this way. I'm sure there were some Sean people rooting for Sean, but I feel like you'd be really hard. Who who's rooting for who's rooting for Richard? Who's rooting for Rudy? And who's rooting for Susan? Like, unless it's a hometown pride thing, 
it just seems like Kelly has all of the makings to be a winner on top of the fact that she was a challenge beast and a strategizer. Like, now that we're talking about this now, I'm just like, what did Kelly do wrong in her gameplay? Yeah, I think the only thing that she did wrong was the, was the sort of, like, cozying up with Pagong. I think that's it. And I think that despite the alliance playing the game that they played and the perception of everybody else involved in the show about that gameplay, they decided they had their own sort of set of ethics that maybe only makes sense to them. And part of that was not trying to get in with the Pagongs or just Mm -hmm. because this whole thing about being up front and saying, look, this is who we're voting for. Even Sean saying, everybody knows who I'm going to vote for because it's whoever's next in the alphabet. But being very (laughs) upfront, where Kelly's kind of like always entertaining the idea of voting with the Pagongs, who very rarely even vote together. So it's not even like that's a serious threat. Right. But But I think think it was that that they disrespected about Kelly. And I think one one thing that's interesting in looking at the tribal division here is that this is... Well, first of all, it's a 16-person season, which I think is important to note because your chances of winning are just up at the outset because, mm-hmm. you know, mostly we're getting 18- or 20-person seasons, so there's that. And then also, this is a rare season that you go into the merge 5-5. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you go into the merge 5-5, and also you have this tribal loyalty on both sides. I mean, I guess this is why we call it the Pagonging, but there was so much inevitability built into the season that Kelly not winning is the one thing that didn't go as it seemed it would go. And I also wonder, had Kelly pulled out this victory in this otherwise very, you know, they're really, again, this is an era before there were blindsides. There was nothing. We kind of knew who was going home more or less. Kelly went on that winning streak because who else was going to win? Was Rudy yeah, going to fucking yeah. win a challenge? Um, so it's interesting to think about had Kelly won just the trajectory of the game in general. And also, Richard was such an enigmatic figure in the media outside of the game that Kelly was not and also was not capable of being because, again, going back to the year 2000, gay representation on television, rare. But when there was gay representation, it was like the will and graces. The world had not seen a gay person. The world hadn't seen a person like Richard, let alone a gay person, let alone a nudist. Because remember, that was a huge Mm -hmm. thing at the time. They're just, he was an archetype that was so unfamiliar to many, even within the gay community, mind you, um, that it's curious to think about how Kelly would have maneuvered the post-win trajectory. Yeah, it's like, does she become a let's say, like a Vesepia, right? who kind of goes quiet. Uh, I think that's likely. Does it affect Survivor as a franchise? I don't think so. Um, does it affect the way Survivor's played? I don't think so. Uh, because despite the way that, you know, Susan or others might have you believe, Kelly and Richard play a very similar game at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Totally. Okay, something that you... There's a couple things that you said... A, a little while ago that I wanted to touch on. One was, I think getting to Susan's character a little bit, uh, we remember Susan, and even on a rewatch, Susan is a very lovable and charismatic person on reality TV. 
But part of the interest in her is that she also has a side to her that can be quite nasty or quite cutting. I think that's obviously most clear in her final tribal speech, but it's really like a part of her character. Uh, and it's only her who would write this kind of a speech. I think if, if Susan never makes a speech like this, then it's very obvious to me that sort of speeches like this at Final Tribal are not don't become the norm. Now, did her speech sway votes? We know that it did. So I believe, okay, so Kelly gets Colleen, Jervis, and Jenna voting for her. I believe that Colleen switched her vote because Colleen was going to vote for Richard to win and that she changed to Kelly after hearing Susan's speech. I have heard rumors that a second person had changed their vote, but I don't know for sure whether that's Jenna or Jervis or if that's just rumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and remind me, was the win, was it a 5-3 win? It was a, a 4-3. But all that to say is it's like Susan's, Susan's big plan with her final travel speech didn't work. In fact, she made it a closer vote. One thing I want to talk about that I think uh, people don't really talk about this very often when it comes to season one, but it's worth mentioning that Kelly has this unfortunate cloud hanging over her legacy, and that is these allegations of cheating, quote unquote cheating. So there's long been rumors that Kelly was being given food while on the show by production staff. And I remember in the really early days hearing rumors that contestants or a contestant were being given sandwiches by like a cameraman. And we know that the production staff was a little bit more involved than they would be in the future uh, in season one because we have like the Pagongs saying, oh, we hear there's an alliance over there at Toggy. You know, they're hearing things that are going on at the other camp and it's just presented as like, oh, we've heard this rumor. Well, there's only one place they can hear that rumor and that's from the production staff, either the people conducting the interviews with them for confessionals or camera people. So there's always been this rumor. I never really believed it, but more recently, Jenna Lewis was on Johnny Fairplay's podcast. He has a podcast called Survivor NSFW. He gets really good guests. So Jenna Lewis was on his show and it was fascinating. And she was just straight up like Kelly cheated. The story is that Kelly started fooling around with a member of production and that they would spend nights together like hanging out on a raft and that he was giving her protein bars. And like Jenna swears by this story. And I think there's just too many instances of this coming up for it to not be true. Mm. And what does Jenna have to gain from saying that? Like nothing. But even further to that, of course we know what happened after Richard won was that he didn't pay his taxes on his winnings and he went to prison for that. And his story has always been, well, I had a deal with CBS that they were going to pay the taxes for me which of course can't actually happen, but I assume what he means is that they would top up his million dollar prize with whatever the taxes would be so that he's not actually taking a hit on his prize money. So Jenna says that that deal came out of the fact that it came out that Kelly was getting food while out there, which would obviously help her win these challenges, which kept her in the game because they wanted to be voting her off. 
Um, Jenna also said that prior to the final tribal council, Mark Burnett came and spoke to the jury about who they were going to vote for and sort of insinuated that he was influencing them to vote for Richard. And so that's why you have all these people going into final tribal who are going to vote for Richard. Colleen, we understand, switched her vote in the moment because of Sue's speech. But this whole thing sort of like revolves around this mystery of whether or not Kelly cheated, which kind of puts her in a different light for me. I don't want to believe it because you want to believe that this is like, I mean, it's never going to be a pure game, but like that it is a pure game. And and of course we know that production did get involved early on with uh, Stacy's elimination mm-hmm. that went to court. Um, Stacy got some kind of settlement out of that. So we know it's not beyond Survivor to try to influence a vote, but this idea that Kelly cheated, I mean, like, does it change anything for you when we're thinking about the show? Or is this like, if we believe it, is this just like another one of those quirks of the season one production? Well, it's complicated in that the cheating is like facilitated by production. So it's like, it's different than like, so say you have an athlete taking performance enhancing drugs to help them. It's like they are willfully cheating the system. Whereas if you were on an island competing in Survivor and someone came over to you and they were like, hey, here's some food and you're starving, are you supposed to just be like, sorry, that's not how the game works. Especially when it's literally the referee of the game handing you the performance enhancing drug. So it's tricky in that I'm obviously anti-cheating always, but it's like, that's a really precarious situation to be in, especially if you're Kelly, you're probably thinking, oh, this this show wants to help me win a million dollars. What are you supposed to do? Like, are you supposed yeah. to deny yourself sustenance? So that's confusing i'm surprised that this wouldn't have come out by anyone else because if she's literally on a raft with a producer person at night like i would think that more than jenna would just be talking about this but what i take away from this and why which makes me think about our podcast is it's like just in what other show can someone when was it this this interview you're you're referring to was recent no it's from like yeah last year i think okay so it's like Someone comes on a podcast 20 years later and is like, (laughs) drops a bombshell and has it barely even ripple. Like, it's so interesting to me, this Survivor verse, because it's both so large. I mean, I think one thing I've been constantly struck by is just how big this show is. You know, the ratings today remain enormous. And yet, something like this information is like, so niche but like for us it's like earth shattering like this changes the whole game right well imagine if the information came out 20 years ago well that's the thing the scandal of the century right so i mean i would i to me i look less at kelly and all of this and i look more at production what i'm curious about and what we'll never know is like what were the conversations happening that you know to your point it's like they want to help kelly and yet they want richard to win so it's sort of confusing. Hmm. Did they see it as a sort of David versus Goliath? And in their minds, it was good. But also it's like, if that if they really wanted the sweetheart against like the big evil guy, it's like, then give it to Colleen. Like, it's strange mm-hmm. to me that it was Kelly that they chose. Um, 
Because if anything, wouldn't you want like the clear underdog to be getting the advantage to like help her along in the game? Yeah. So yeah. it's just super curious. Um, has Kelly ever been confronted with this question? Do we know? Not that I'm aware of. That to me is kind of like, I, I guess I am, not that I don't believe Jenna. It's more that like the journalist in me is like, okay, I have a nugget and now I need to go to the source and yeah. and investigate. So I'm of the mindset that like, this is interesting. I'd like to dig deeper. And hopefully we yeah. will. Maybe we will talk to, to uh, Kelly. Richard Hatch. <laughs> talk to Richard, yeah. What do you think, yeah. though? I mean, like, do you, in finding out this information, I think it sounds like that changes the way you, you view our girl. It changes the way I think about it a little bit because I, I do find her, uh, I do find her challenge streak, her challenge winning streak that she goes on post-merge and towards the end game, I find that very impressive. And it was matched by very few people, you know? Like, we people often remember Colby's winning streak. Um, it was... I believe equal to Kelly's winning streak. I could be I wrong. I think on this. Colby has one more, but I could be wrong. Colby it's just like, I, okay. I, I watched this YouTube video recently. I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think Colby had the record for a long time. Yeah, I should have my facts straight here. But but, ne- but needless to way, say, your point stands. They are both. It's a very it's a very impressive challenge streak that uh, is rarely rarely equaled in future seasons, um, especially by women. Uh, so. I've but always found that very impressive. I do think it's like you have to add the caveat here of like, who was she up against? Like the <laughs> men that she was facing off against, Richard, Rudy, and Sean in, the, in those final couple challenges. So again, not taking anything away from her, but I just think it's notable. I mean, can we say that about Colby too? Was totally. he against Keith? Yeah. It was, yeah, Colby, he, yeah. But it's like, it makes more sense that Colby would be physically dominant given it was like Elizabeth, Roger, like... Yeah. yeah, I I yeah. I'm more prone. I was gonna say to give credit to Kelly. I, I guess again, I just come back to this idea. But I just think it was they were both primed to win in in, yeah, in the sure. competition sense. Sure. So, I, but I mean, like, I did but find yes. that impressive. But it becomes less impressive if she's getting protein bars. It's you know, it is less impressive. Uh, however, I don't think in Borneo they're starving by any means. Uh, right. Compared to what we will see in the future, even in Australian Outback. And she wins challenges that are not just physical. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think that her winning streak becomes a little bit less impressive if she is getting food. But season one is such a weird little experiment in its own right that it's hard to compare it to anything else. And so I do think that Kelly contributed so much to the game and the television product that I I can overlook it. It's not going to make me despise her or something like that, but it's just like, it's another one of those things, another thing on the checklist of why season one was weird. Okay, the other thing I'm thinking about, though, with regards to all of this is, you know, Kelly comes back many, many years later, and my sense is that a couple things. One, I think if there was this actual cheating, the cast would have been NDA'd about it. Um, there's a world in which Jenna is talking about it in 2021 because it was a 20-year NDA. That is a possibility. But I would also think that, and this goes beyond just Survivor, if you are involved in any kind of legal dispute or even possible legal dispute, you're probably going to want to distance yourself from anyone that was involved in that. And so for Survivor to bring Kelly back 
with that asterisk out there about her previous gameplay, mm-hmm. to me feels like it's putting her name back in the Survivor verse and leading people to deep dive her, you know, analytics of how she's done in the past. I just feel like it's a skeleton in the closet that I'm not sure Survivor would willfully make sort of people possible make possible to investigate. So part of me is just like I'm not sure I totally buy the the protein of it all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. I mean, I do think that they've brought in people back. I think about Russell and his ability to quote unquote find hidden immunity idols. Mm-hmm. That has been thrown into question by other players, myself, um, by fans, by viewers with half of a brain yeah. who realize that uh, idols must be pointed out, hinted at, if not handed to people. I, that's far more cheating than getting protein bars totally um and they bring those people back but i think it's because of what the rules of the game are what's in the contract the producers are allowed to do whatever they want i also that like date that dates back to season one with the stacy stillman right off also like not to be super conspiracy theorist but it's like when you give someone a protein bar it's there's a big difference between that versus like a producer maybe like putting their arm out and pointing at something and then it's like even if russell it's like there's you can be a lot more conspicuous about pointing out an idol than like giving someone a protein bar is like, <laughs> I just think there's ways in which you can get around that. So I'm not, again, all cheating is bad, but I don't know. I, I, I It makes me very, very curious. Um, but I do think that it's an asterisk next to her name, but I also feel like, and we'll get into this, I'm sure at some point, but it's like, you think about Kim Spradlin, you know, in, in yeah. One World, and it's like, there yeah. are asterisks around people who are not often who people don't really think about the asterisks around them. So I feel like there's a lot of people who who should have an asterisk, whether it be around their win or about their vote out or just around their legacy in general. Um, you know, a lot of the big players in this game are actually like, you know, I think Russell's a great example of like, it's not the same kind of asterisks, but like are really, really shitty at the game of Survivor um, in all of his seasons that he played and yet is, you know, perceived to be one of the great players. So, But just to your point, because I don't know if people know this, but the asterisk on Kim Spradlin's name is that there is uh, an allegation out there against Kim that she broke the rules, which are that on your ride to tribal council, because they stopped walking or boating to tribal council uh, many, many years ago, so they get put in this van or truck or something like that and they are not allowed to communicate because that's not part of the show it's not being filmed um so there's no strategizing the strategizing ends when you leave the beach to enter whatever vehicle you're taking to tribal council and so the allegation against kim is that on the way to one of the tribal councils she changed the vote by signaling non-verbally to her alliance and it was in order to like help flush an idol and take out like the last two guys, right? Troy Zan and whoever that other guy was, um, who I think went home that night or... I'm forgetting the details, but that's the allegation. It hasn't been confirmed by like Kim or anybody, as far as I know, but uh, I believe that it's a legitimate rule break and they bring Kim back for season 40. And I think everyone's very happy to have her back. I don't think it's a serious rule break in my opinion. I think any of that could have been done at Tribal Council if it had to be, but... But we've also heard from over 
voice memos we've heard from players of the game who express to us times in which players have attempted to break that code of silence in the in the bus ride over by non-verbally communicating with one another which is against the rules so part of me thinks obviously being fed protein bars by production a very different kind of rule rule break but this just to say that like this is an impure game in many senses. You know, mm-hmm. we have another instance coming up in season three when the producers award a challenge win incorrectly to a player because of an instance mm-hmm. where, we, you know, we'll get, no, don't need to get into that, but it's just like there are instances many times throughout this game where where something goes, goes amiss. And obviously, again, feeding a protein bar, feeding a protein bar different than what happens in season three, which was just an honest mistake. However... All of these things all serve to change the results of how the game plays out. So it's kind of like one of those things, and one of the interesting things about Survivor where you always wonder, like, oh, if so-and-so had done this vote instead of that vote, would it would it change the entire trajectory of the game? And the answer is yes. You know, it's like you think about Rob Mariano's vote off in Marquesas, and it's like, had Rob stayed around longer, would he have come back again for All-Stars? And would that have set, would he have met Amber? And there's just so many times that something as small as production feeding a protein bar could go on to, that production feeding her the protein bar could have won Jenna, or could have won Kelly the game, which then would have never had Richard ha- It's just, there's so many things to think about but there is a domino effect with this show even around things totally. as small as a protein bar so you mentioned kelly coming back many years later uh maybe we should talk about that uh blink and you'll miss it appearance on second well, chance tell me this is there i think so when jervis returns in blood versus water i believe that's the longest span between a first and second season for a player until kelly now that's has right. there been anyone since then i believe kelly has to hold the record for longest time lapse between yeah, first and second it. gameplay which yeah. i think is really significant for a lot of reasons a mm-hmm. just like how much the game itself has changed and also how much she has changed as a human being not to mention i think that the physical aspects of the show take a toll on an older human um no matter how you know how much athletic prowess they have yeah and for me, I was so excited. Like, I can't even describe to you how excited I was that Kelly was on the roster of voting for Second Chance when they released that. It was like, I had always wanted to see Kelly return. She was the only member of the Toggy alliance that hadn't returned yet. I mean, she disappears essentially after Borneo to some extent. She does start to like, she goes to survivor events and things like that uh, occasionally, she would pop up, but she was just like not online, never in a returning season. I thought it was weird that she was never on a returning season. Um, and to see her pop up in Second Chance, it's like, this is perfect. I t- I'm totally buying into the narrative they're playing of like the ultimate Second Chance. Uh, you know, she lost by one vote in Borneo. What could have been? Could she come back? Could she get to the end again? It was just exciting. It was just great to see. And and I just love to see anybody from season one return. I'll never turn down a season one returnee because uh, I think that that's, it's just such a nice way to tie the legacy of the show back to its roots. And so I was so excited to see her. And unfortunately, she gets voted on and she's barely on the show. Um, I think part of it has to do with the amount to which she stepped back from Survivor Uh, I mean, she claims still to this day to never have watched Survivor. 
which I don't actually believe. Um, <laughs> I mean, couldn't be us. We know that she she has said like multiple times throughout the years, like, oh yeah, I, I did watch, you know, like before Cambodia, she said, oh yeah, I watched some a few years ago, but now still today, she says she's never watched any. She also knew a lot of details in Cambodia, like in her Ponderosa, she knew details of what had happened in Cagayan that maybe she picked up from the other players because they were talking about it, but she almost just too knew too much about it. So I don't know if I totally believe her, but she all, all of this to say she has made it a concerted effort to say, I'm not involved in this show. So do you think that when the first All-Stars came around in which, so this is season eight, so it's about four, three and a half, four years after the initial run of the show, they bring back three of the four, Rudy, Richard, and Sue, Susan. Do you think that they had approached Kelly? Do you think they wanted her back? I wonder. I'm sure that information is out there, but I suspect they would have approached her. But I would I also, hope that they would have approached everybody. Right, but I also feel like... It's maybe really, not with the intention of having the whole lines back. That's almost inherently unfair. I feel like they could have gotten into the situation that they almost found themselves in with Heroes versus Villains um, in that mm-hmm. bringing, bringing back too many people, not only from the same season, but from... I mean, technically, the four of them were part of an alliance together. So I yeah, think it would yeah. run the issue of even though I don't, I don't think they would realign uh, given a second opportunity, but it, that could potentially have been an issue. I wonder though, do you think that, and again, I don't know if this is out there, but I'm just, and, but do you think that Kelly had been approached before Second Chances? Do you think, you know, as you mentioned, she said she didn't watch the show, but it just seems so random to bring her back after all of these years. And also notably, Second Chances is very new player heavy. Um, The only returning players outside of Kelly from an early season are Varner and Kimmy from Australia. You get no Africa, no Marquesas, no Thailand, no Amazon. I don't believe there's any Pearl Islands. Um, No Vanuatu, no no Palau. No Panama. Yeah, and so I think that it's interesting that not only they really weren't pulling from the older seasons to begin with, and then when they did, they went for not only Kelly, but Kelly, Kimmy, and Varner, three just very mm-hmm. random players. K- uh, Kelly being the least random, but the most, ran- most random in the sense that it feels like she would have been primed to come back so much sooner. Yes, yes. So we do know that she has been asked many, many, many times. I, I think it's probably safe to guess that almost every returning player season Kelly would have been asked in the same way that I understand they ask Colleen every returning player season they've asked Elizabeth Hasselbeck every returning player season because why not in the event that they might say yes worst they can get is no answer right so yeah we do know she has said she said around the time of Cambodia yeah she had been asked back many many times and just never was interested in doing it and then sort of had like she claims that she had some kind of like not premonition but like she had a feeling they were going to ask again and that she was like if they do I'm going to say yes and then Hmm. she says the next day she got the email but I bring up the lack of early players for one I think that just put her on the outs from the outset just because there was less of a chance that she as a non-watcher of the show or an alleged non-watcher of the show but also someone that just like even big fans of the show unless you're like 
a fan from the get-go. I'm sure, not many, but I'm sure some of those players just don't know Kelly or just maybe don't remember her gameplay because even if they did watch at the time, it had been so long. On top of all of that, and I think this is the case on a lot of returning player seasons when they bring bring back early players, is they've never played with the idol before. And it is a completely, completely different game when there Mm -hmm. is one idol, let alone the million idols that are out there now. Not to mention the advantages and just the style of gameplay. Because as we were mentioning earlier, you could kind of... And there, I might be wrong on this, but like I think you could kind of go in on those early seasons and be like, here's who I'm going to lock in with, this is my strategy, and unless someone's going to really shake up the game, I'm going to stick with this through the end, and it will either take me to the end or, or I'll have a, a quick death. Whereas I don't think you could be on the bottom in the early seasons and not get voted out. I think if you were on the bottom, mm-hmm. you were out. So I think one disadvantage with second chances and... I wish it would have at least been talked about more or something is just, and I think she mentioned it at one point, but it's just like these players in many senses, it's their second chance, but it's their first chance at modern survivor. Yeah. And she doesn't play modern survivor. That's the problem. And that's, what's so frustrating about seeing her back out there. And it's like truly a case of be careful what you wish for, because I wanted nothing more than to see Kelly play this game again. And what I got was Kelly playing, the game again in the same way she played it the last time which cannot win the game anymore like specifically saying i'm not going to look for idols like please this did not first of all you didn't win last time so please don't try to repeat your game and secondly we're in a new game and you need to like smarten up to that and she didn't and it seemed you know she kind of makes an alliance with joe mid-season or they seem to be in it together And she is a physically, relatively physically strong in that season. I think what's interesting about her, as you mentioned, it's like she's refused to go look for the idol, which is like strike number one. But strike number two, it's like she doesn't really work on finessing one-on-one relationships. It's like, if nothing else, give us fake final twos. You know what I mean? Like, just go to people and be like, we've seen this happen many times where you have a player that literally just walks around and makes final twos with every single player they can. You know, and just kind of see some of them might pan out to be like real alliances. It just seemed like Kelly didn't want to play the game. And I recall you and I, when I was first watching it, I left you a voice note um, because there was like one challenge. I, I might have been the one where Kelly won right before when they're doing like the intro. Jeff is like, we're repeating this challenge. And this was first played in your season, Kelly. And and you you either won or you lost or whatever. And, and, and I believe she'd lost it in her first season and won it on second chances again this is where my memory yeah, yeah. is bad and well it's she, the it, it comes back to that rafting persona queen thing so it was the yeah and she just is not and he's kind of like how do you feel about it and she's kind of just like i feel fine and that kind of underlined that i it seemed to me that with the theme of second chances they really wanted those players that were coming in there and really willing to do to verbalize the redemption arc to say, I yeah. came and played this game once and it didn't work out and I'm here today to make it happen. And Kelly, both in her strategy, but also in her just confessionals and even discussions with Jeff, she seemed very, I would just say reticent, but I would just say even unwilling to, to compare her present day gameplay to contrast it with her initial gameplay. She seemed like yeah. this was a new opportunity and the show was framing it as literally a second chance 
Yeah. In postseason interviews, other contestants and Kelly herself said that Kelly and Jeff Probst butt heads about the narrative and Kelly not being willing to play along. And I think it goes back to the first tribal that Kelly attended and Jeff trying to like really hammer home this like, Kelly, you were in the original final two. Like this is second chances. This is the ultimate second chance. And I think there was some kind of moment where Kelly was like, Jeff, I'm not talking about this. Um, Like, can we move on? And that's the ultimate no-no, especially in Modern Survivor, is telling Jeff what to do with his job, I think. This is Kelly being kind of exactly the kind of person I want to see on Modern Survivor because it's someone who's uh, unwilling to play the easy narrative game or play up to the cameras. I would like to see more realness um, because so often you have people like telling me how I should feel about their story in a way where I would rather just have somebody tell me their story. You know, maybe Kelly's story isn't that this is such a huge second chance for her and she's like, maybe she's not reliving this every day of her life like Jeff wants her to be. Maybe this is just another new adventure for her as as an older, not an older woman, but an older woman than she was when she played Borneo. Maybe that's her story this time. And, you know, this was like, she's thinking back on 39 days of her life 20 years ago. Like, it's not that big of a deal to her maybe. So there's that playing into it is that she is not playing as a savvy reality TV actor in the year uh, that Cambodia was out, whenever, whatever year that was, mm-hmm. uh, but in, in modern reality TV terms. Now, having said everything that we've said about Kelly, I think it's really interesting when her elimination comes up in Cambodia because she's eliminated because she's a threat to win. And unfortunately, because she's not playing into the the production's game of being the character they want her to be and telling the story they want her to tell, we're actually not seeing her. And maybe it's because what she's doing is is truly boring. Uh, Maybe she's just like living camp life and being nice. And that's what's making her a threat um, is that everyone's liking her. But we're not seeing that. And so I don't know what makes her a threat. And we see this move by Fishbach to get her out. And I really hope that we'll be able to talk to Steven on this podcast because that's something I really want to know is like, was Kelly Wigglesworth truly a threat to win in the way that everybody talked about her in that episode? Because it came out of nowhere for me. Right. I was shocked to even hear it. I was pleasantly surprised to hear it because I thought, geez, like maybe Kelly actually did something decent and it just hasn't been shown to us. But I thought that that's like, it's an honorable way for her to go. It's not that she was just like the next vote off in an alliance because it was actually kind of a pivotal move for Steven to target Kelly like that. So I, I was, I'm just sort of like a little bit perplexed by this season and I know that people love it, but this is like a prime example of something that doesn't fully make sense to me because I think the story wasn't told accurately right. or properly. I think too, the interesting thing with Kelly is it's like, she's not an enigma, right? She's yeah. like, we're talking about her right now. I think you and I both respect her. And obviously it's like, we wanted to devote a whole episode to her for a reason. But what's interesting is it's like, so much of what makes a character successful on the game of Survivor is a quality about them. It's not about like whether or not they do well in the competition necessarily. But like, for instance, 
we'll have Courtney on our next episode. And like one thing about Courtney is it's like, is she great at the game of Survivor? I don't think she's great at it. I think she's good at it. But there's just a quality about Courtney that you just want to watch everything she does, both at camp and in challenges, where she is like quite capable in many challenges. But when it comes to Kelly, it's just she doesn't have that quality of being particularly fascinating. And also, typically on Survivor, people fall into archetypes, right? Like, you know, there's sort of this is this player. And it's like Kelly, yes, she's a challenge beast. But as we articulated, there are two things here, right? One, the challenges were easier in season one, especially. And two, she wasn't up against a lot of competition because we do not see the return of challenge beast Kelly when she comes Mm -hmm. on in Cambodia. And I think that's for many reasons. But I just don't think, and I think this is part of the reasons why the producers maybe had trouble with her, is that she just doesn't fall cleanly into a lot of the categories that the show quite often likes people to be in. You know, it's like, you just look at so many, there's a reason why we have this famous season called Heroes versus Villains. And not to say everyone that was on the Heroes was a Heroes and, and the Villains were Villains, but it was the show's attempt to say, we create two types of people. And obviously, I think they've created many more archetypes within that um but it kind of shows you the way in which to succeed at this show you either have to be a rupert or a russell not always but often or you have to sort of lock into some characteristic that makes you easy to pinpoint so for instance it's like someone like fishback um is 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 an archetype that there have been fishbacks before fishback there will be fishbacks after fishback and Kelly just, you can't really slot her in. She's not a strategic mastermind. She's not, doesn't mm-hmm. have a social game down. She's good at challenges, but not great at challenges. She doesn't give great confessionals. She's hardworking around camp. Like you want a bigger, I think bigger personalities tend to succeed in this game. And Kelly is a distinctly muted personality. Although... Yeah, and and yet and yet that's what I find so interesting about her. Like I said earlier, yeah. it's like I want to see real people right. in this game, and very very rarely do we see a real person in the way that we saw Kelly in season one. I think that there are plenty of real people in the game. They get edited out of the game because right. they're less interesting than the characters. Um, I also think it's really interesting that you compare her to Courtney because I think it's an accurate comparison because both did well enough at the game to come in second place in their first seasons and yet they had a lot of not necessarily luck but a lot of circumstances led them to that place that if those things didn't happen they probably wouldn't have gotten to second place but both got to final tribal and both earned votes to win the game Totally. Um, I also which think is though, interesting. if Courtney, you know how we were saying if Kelly, if Borneo were to happen in 2015, would Kelly have had a different trajectory? I think had Courtney played the game in the age of social media, Courtney would have been like a meme queen. Like I think Courtney would have had yeah. a totally different trajectory, not to turn this around to Courtney just yet. We'll do that next episode. But I do just think it's like thinking about the fact that Kelly's initial season was before gift culture, meme culture, etc. And yet, going back to something that you brought up at the beginning of the episode, that quote, I'm not here to make friends, which has become huge on America's Next Top Model, huge on Drag Race. It's kind of become like a go-to quote on reality television. She brought that, not only that quote, but that energy as well 
It's just that typically when you have someone with that energy, they're a little bit more cutthroat. And again, it's like most people that say a quote like that are coming in at like an eight or nine and then bring it up to a 10. And it's like, Kelly's giving you that quote at like a five. I keep telling myself, oh, I have enough friends. I didn't come here to make friends. And she means it, right? Like she is being- She means it. She's being cutthroat, but it's not intense enough to really shake you. Whereas like Susan, just her, if Susan were to deliver a line like that, chills would run down my spine just because there's an intensity (laughs) to her as a human being that informs all of her moves that Kelly just lacks that intensity. So I think if anything, it's like, it seems that we really do respect Kelly and her gameplay and, and we're so glad she came back, but it's almost as though like, in, we, in thinking that there was more story to tell, what we learned was that, yes, we were left wanting more after Borneo. I'm not sure there was more to get. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so this leads me to my last couple of questions to ponder here. Would you ever want to see Kelly play again? Yes. Really? Yeah, just because, like, it's, again, it's my penchant for the older seasons, mm-hmm. and... I think that there's a world in which if there were other, if there were more old school players or, you know, a season that had older returnees, for instance, and not just like, because, you know, there's something to be said about the fact that like someone like Kelly is considered a returnee, but is coming back 15 years older and all of the physical toll that the body takes, whereas like other returning players come back a year later. Mm -hmm. And so I think if the playing field were more evened out amongst who she was cast with, yeah, I could be potentially interested. And also, I wonder if there's learning lessons she would take from her second time out at the game. Um, I'm not saying I'd be, like, gripped at the idea, but considering the fact that, like, we have three-time players like Jeff Varner coming in, I am more than willing Mm -hmm. to allow someone like Kelly a third go at this. Yeah, okay, I hear you. What about you? Uh, I'm over it. (laughs) After second... I got that. After second chances, I'm over it. Uh, I was really let down by that performance. I think when I think about the some of the early players that I would love to see back again, well, if we're talking about second chances, Kimmy. Like, why did Jeff Varner get to go on Game Changers? He was voted out pre-merge, wasn't he, on Cambodia? And Kimmy just, like, blew me away in Cambodia. I mean, she played, like, a pretty quiet game until post-merge when she was like making some really interesting strategic moves and i would love to see her back like that that is evolution um from season two it was so exciting to see her play like that that kind of like aggressive strategic game and succeeding to get quite far to me second chances is kimmy's that's kimmy's story i would so i'd love to see someone like her play again i also would argue that susan a third go at this. I know it'll never oh happen. My God. We'll never say never, but like I know it's doubtful that it would happen. Yeah. But I think Susan is such a great opportunity in that A, it would be the biggest time lapse between second or between seasons for a player. But also it's like that's someone who I'm so curious about who they've become as a person. Yeah. And also because they're not on social media, it's like it's just like what Susan would we be getting? There's something to be said about we have this expectation of access because of social media that it's like we're able to keep up with so many players of this game. And Susan is, and also Kelly. Does Kelly have social? She has Instagram. Is she like active? Yeah. 
Okay. So she, like Kel- like- Kelly, actually, if you check out her Instagram, you will see that she spent quite a bit of time with uh, he who must not be named, Joe, uh, after Cambodia. The rumor is they dated, but they did this Got bizarre it. photo shoot where they're like naked and completely painted in body paint. Um, it's totally, it's like a hellscape. Um, oh, well, she has a big following. Yeah. Okay, so I here I thought she was more obscure. Okay. She follows Rachel Lee Cook. I like that. Molly <laughs> Shannon. I like that. I'm just trying to see if there's like a Trump ball or anything. Sus, just in my initial view. Right, because okay, so of this Joe. Is definitely... No, I think, she, I think she's reasonable. I hope. Okay, but 80K followers is nothing to scoff at. That's more than most winners on this show. Yeah, wow. Okay, interesting. So, okay, but someone like, to my original point then, with Susan, it's like you have these players that are completely off the radar, and I just would be so curious what someone like her would be up to. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm glad that we got a second go at Wigglesworth, and I'm not hankering to have her back for more, but... In general, if we're going to do more returning seasons, I think that, I think in general, specifically Africa, Marquesas, obviously Thailand, Amazon, Vanuatu, like there are early seasons that are just, I mean, for instance, Thailand has had only one returning player ever, and that was Xi'an in the season, Mm -hmm. excuse me, two, three seasons later. She was on season five, she came back in season eight. We have never, you know. Which like, like, no offense, she had no business being there, but. But was iconic nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I, I was happy to have her there, but yeah, was, I was shocked that she up. was there. But my point being, it's so odd that there are so many big players in this game from those early seasons yeah. that are just completely off the grid. Um, that would be so great to see back. And also, one more thing I'll add in the vein of Kelly, I wish that they would do an all runners-up season um, because... Interestingly, a lot of runners-up uh, are just never really out of mind, out of sight. I mean, I think of, like, Mateo, who was uh, mm. the runner-up in, in um, Amazon, who's never played again, who was really, really great at the game. Um, and I think a runners-up season would be really fun, and I think Kelly could be... Again, going, going back to my sort of, like, I'd love to see her on a more even playing field season, I'm just in favor of anything that brings back S1 through S10 players is... Is, is dollars. It would be right. really cool to see Colby play with Kelly Wigglesworth. Absolutely. I think that Birds would be of a feather, really cool. I feel. Yeah. Without a doubt. So, yeah. Okay. That That's a concept I could get behind. I like that concept. Um, but otherwise, I'm good, love. Um, <laughs> could she ever win? I guess this is like, I don't know. It's a similar question. No. Could she ever win Survivor? No. I just don't... I don't see the world in which she wins. No, I don't see it for I her don't, because... I, Partially because of what happened in Cambodia. I mean, what we saw here, here's the contrast between Kelly and Kimmy. Uh, Kelly came back and played like she thought it was the same show. Maybe she truly did think it was the same show. Kimmy did her research, watched the show, figured out how the game changed, and played that game. I don't see Kelly ever doing that, even if she came back a third time. Also, two things. One, I don't think Kelly could deliver a final jury speech that would just help her game in any way. Mm. Um, And I think those final jury speeches are 
really crucial in terms of, especially when you have players that are on the bubble, I think those jury speeches can make all the difference. I wouldn't rely on Kelly to really persuade in a situation like that. And I don't see, I mean, Kelly made it clear she's not going to look for idols. That's a huge knock against her. But beyond that, it's like, okay, if you're not going to look for idols, you at least need to be very aware of how idols can be in play around any vote. And I don't see Kelly being strategically minded enough to sort of be aware of like, the split votes that might need to happen or the things that would need to happen to get her there. And I think that awareness is oftentimes what can convince a jury to vote for you is sort of like how strategic you were and sort of like who you were voting for when, even if it wasn't necessarily, even if it was like part of like a a big split vote with like, you know, eight other players or something or, or what have you, I still think that those decisions are really crucial in terms of building up your resume. I just don't see Kelly being strategically minded enough to like even understand what a resume is in a game like this. It feels like Kelly, I mean, she has said this, she said this in her, she recently did one of um, Dalton Ross's quarantine questionnaires, which was iconic because she was giving like one word answers, like Rudy style answers to all the questions because she doesn't care. Um, but one of the things that was asked is like, what would you change about Survivor? And she said like, no immunity idols, like bring it back, bring it back to basics, which, okay, there's like an argument for that. Um, I think she's onto something, although I do I like the yes. hidden immunity idol, maybe just not so many. Um, but the point is, it's like, she plays the game as if like, I don't like those aspects of the game. So I'm just going to pretend they don't exist. Right. And you, which like, yeah, you, I mean, it's, you're, you need to play the game that's handed to you. But it's very School of Rudy. It's like, honestly, it's like she is, this is very Borneo-esque behavior. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that that stubbornness is just never, it's never going to win you the game, especially thinking about just like these, these players that have come up subsequently. I'm thinking of like Natalie immediately, who are just like constantly thinking about every possible outcome. Your Tysons, what have you. Like these players that are kind of like, okay, this is what ended up happening, but this is what could have happened, and here's what I need to do, blah, 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 blah. Her mind is just, all due respect, I, I, actually, I'll be terrible. I just don't think she's of the mind to really be thinking that much. But here's my question for those of you listening. Do we want to talk to Kelly? Do you want? Do we need to be in conversation with Kelly? Because I feel like we're going to do these episodes sometimes where we're zeroing in on a player who we've not done any outreach to, um, and I'm curious, having spent this, what, hour and a half talking about her, does this make our audience hungry to have us in conversation with her? Or is this, it's like, are we, yeah, like, are we in conversation with Kelly or are we talking about Kelly? We could do both, but I'm just curious where our audience is at with regards to, like, do we think there's more juice in the in the Kelly orange? And I have to say, I feel like I just spent 45 minutes talking shit about Kelly Wigglesworth when Kelly Wigglesworth is one of my biggest icons of Survivor. Like, love her. <laughs> like I love Kelly Wigglesworth you know what? so much. Kelly Wigglesworth is very Carrie Bradshaw-esque in this sense, which is like, to love her is to make fun of her because she is part of mm. us. It's like, she is a blueprint Survivor player. The show, the show exists on the back of players like Kelly. And so we're criticizing her gameplay, sure. But the fact that we are devoting a whole episode to her, I think speaks to the fact of 
we love her and there are so many quote-unquote bigger players that we are never going to like talk mm-hmm. about on this podcast and that like we don't give an f about let's listen so them. no i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I mean yeah a couple are coming to mind they're all men surprise uh but i just feel like uh yeah we're very critical of her because she did a lot on the show that's worth criticizing but at the same time it's like this is not a pageant show, right? This is not a show that exists to make you fall in love with people. Sure, there are going to be players like Courtney who we as gay men especially gravitate towards because of her personality. Kelly is not that, but Kelly is a great contributor to the canon of Survivor and Survivor is a better game and a better show Mm -hmm. because of a player like Kelly. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's wrap this Kelly discussion up. I'm going to say... Thank you for bringing all of these uh, thoughts on somebody from 20 years ago who was very important in my life into uh, 2021 because I love revisiting. I love revisiting season one and I love revisiting some of the people that are just a little bit more forgotten from the early seasons. And I suspect we will be doing many more episodes like this about uh, similar types of characters from those early seasons. I would like to ask the audience, who they would like us to do this kind of a deep dive on. Maybe there's some that we haven't even considered uh, rewatching through the lens of a specific character. So I would love to hear from the audience who your favorite early season uh, low-key players are uh, and who you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. I'd also like to hear from people, you know, we talked about the fact that like Kelly was such an exciting person to bring back for second chances there there is talk of a of a second season of second chances being on the table sometime in, in the coming years and i'm just curious what sort of more random player in the kelly vein are people sort of like gunning to have back for a round two there's a lot of players like kelly who deserve that second go of it who are who are forgotten in the canon and we want to hear from you yeah please like let's put this out there right now because we have plans to do an episode of like a sort of dream casting of second chances too and we would love to hear from you on who you would want to see in that and maybe who you'd like to hear us talk about in a little bit more depth so please send us voice memos at evan ross cats on instagram at soda.pop on instagram send us voicemails we will listen and we might use <laughs> and we will talk like this yes moving forward Okay, so uh, that's it for today. We are going to be back next time with Courtney. So excited for that. An absolute legend um, on two of my favorite seasons, China and Heroes vs. Villains. So, so excited for you guys to hear that. In the meantime, please take some time to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And don't forget, our DMs are open. Bye. Bye.